Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by Floor and Decor. Largest selection of hard surface flooring and lowest prices guaranteed. Sarah, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Uh, I've been fighting mold in my shower, and I had someone come out and redo the uh, shower grout at the bottom, and it just came right back so fast. I thought I might try to... Have you ever heard of using steam to kill the mold in the shower? It does be, uh, because of the high heat. You know, the mold has to be within certain temperatures in order to survive. Uh, it's got to have moisture and certain temperatures. And, yes, you actually can kill it with steam. That's not to say that it won't regrow again because you've only killed what's there. So down the road, if the conditions are right still, a new batch of mold can start up again. What about, I thought I'd heard you mention a, a specific kind of caulk or, uh, that you can use that's mold-resistant. If I clean all that yes. out real good and then steam it, what do you recommend? Yeah, they, they make a caulk that has a mold inhibitor in it. And if you'll go to, like, Ace Hardware and some of those places, Elliott's, you know, some of the hardware stores like that, you're more likely to find it there than you will at the box stores, like Lowe's or Home Depot. Okay, that's what I was playing on. We have a Daddy's Hardware in Denton. They should, they, they'll more than likely have it. Thank, thank you, Sarah. You have a great afternoon. Bill, this is Jim. How can I help you? Okay, so my I have a house that's built in kind of an 80s, late 80s. Um, we've had problems with the foundation shifting. We've had it looked at by a couple of foundation companies, and sort of two out of three said, you know, it's not bad enough to really go after, but your problem is these trees around here are not getting enough moisture sucking out from one corner of the house. So we eliminated that tree. <laughs> um and now for about almost a year, the house has been, you know, pretty sta- pretty stable, it looks like. So my right. question is, I've got a bunch of pop tiles. It's ceramic uh, tile. Am I, you know, what point am I safe to probably go in and start replacing those individual tiles or, you know, and start patching up walls and, and such? On the tiles, I would tell you you're probably safe now to do it. Uh, we've had enough rain over the last year that the soils have hydrated. Uh, it's not unusual to get an inch to inch and a half of lift when you take a tree out or put in a root barrier if you want to keep the tree. So that you do have options on that. A lot of times people think that's what's causing their tile issues, where typically the tile issue was caused by how it was initially installed, what type of mastics they used. Normally yeah. when there's foundation movement, what you're seeing is the cracks in the walls and and things like that. And I normally will tell people to give it one to two years before doing sheetrock repairs, okay. uh, simply because it does take longer for that. To... Yeah, because it's all pretty much in one corner of the house, and there was a, a yeah. hackberry tree that was right up against the side of the house, and we got rid of that. And the other recommendation was exactly what you said, a root barrier around, because we've got a, an oak, pretty good-sized oak that's right out front there, too. Um, so Did you do that? Not yet, no. <laughs> Yeah, well, see, what's going to happen is when you do that root barrier, yeah, you're going to start the process of, of uh, moving again. Well, that was, yeah, I guess that really kind of boils down to my question. Am I going to, like you said, lift? Is it going to lift back up, and then am I going to have a whole new set of cracks? Yes. If you repair all the sheetrock now, 
and then you do a root barrier and it lifts up higher, what will happen is those cracks will try to close, but you put, yeah. you put sheetrock mud in there so it pinches and starts squeezing it out. So, yeah, you'll, you'll start seeing the problems in reverse. Okay, okay. So if it was me, I'd go can... ahead and do my floor because, like I said, if you use a, a mastic that has some elasticity to it to put the flooring in, it will take that movement with no problem at all. Okay. But the sheetrock, I would leave. Okay. Okay. All right. And uh, so okay. root, do you have a recommendation for a root barrier? Is that? Man, if you don't call Due West, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, fair enough. Uh, no, realistically, Due West can do it for you. Surprisingly enough, root barriers are something homeowners can do themselves if they're energetic. A lot of companies will only do an 18 to 24-inch root barrier. I recommend three feet because roots are in the top 18 inches, and you got to go deep enough that they don't just go under it and come up the other side. Yeah, that's a lot and of big... And as far as the material, I recommend a high-density plastic. They do make fabrics that have... Uh, beads in them to keep the roots from growing through them but that's chemical and over time it deteriorates and the moisture still travels through the fabric so even though you stop the the roots from going under the home through capillary action it can still the moisture in the soil can still migrate to the tree by putting in a high density plastic you stop that migration of the moisture as well so I've got another tree that's that's kind of out by my pool area, and it did the same thing around the decking around the pool. Just you know, like three or four years ago, we had to really, really dry. It just sucked everything out from underneath that decking, and we're yep. contemplating taking that tree down completely. But it provides an awful lot of shade over the pool, which is really nice in the middle of summer. So, how much if we just kind of really trim that tree back? You know, get a professional arborist to do it, but really trim that tree back. Will that reduce the moisture draw coming from that tree enough? Absolutely. Every leaf that's not on the tree cuts down the amount of moisture it has to draw out of the soil. Makes sense. All right. Bill, have a right, great sir. weekend. Thank you. You too. Dan, this is Jim. How can I help you? Uh, I have gutters in the back of my home. My home is 40 years old. Uh, part of the gutters sagged, and I took them down, and I found that uh, wood behind the gutters, some of it is not good. I need to replace that. Should, so should I yeah. take the gutters off all the back of the house and look at the wood? Is this something that should be done like every 40 years on a house or something? Well, it depends on how the gutters are put in and what you have for siding. Uh, when you go to replace all those fascia boards and soffit boards and such, I would recommend you take a look at James Hardy siding because even when the water comes over the back of the gutter, which is what caused all the issue that you're having, Hardy siding doesn't rot. But more so what happens is the fasteners, whether they use the big spike nails or screws, you know, it goes through the gutter into the siding, but it punctures the paint, which seals and protects the wood. That's what allows the moisture to get in there and typically starts all the rot. The other problem is some gutters are made where the front of the gutter is higher than the back of the gutter. And so when the gutters plug up, the water level gets high enough, it's going over the back of the gutter instead of the front. So you want to be careful what you get for gutters when you replace them. But uh, in general, it's it's one of those things that you can usually keep an eye on when you start seeing problems where the gutters are sagging uh, and things like that. You know what's going on. Take them down, fix it, and put gutters back up. Okay. 
I'm thinking just about taking them down, not using gutters. <laughs> They're kind of a hassle. So I, I recommend that all the time. I think gutters are way overused. Uh, if you've got an issue where the water is coming off the roof in a sheet and ruining something underneath, you need gutters. If you have driveways, entries into the house, asphalt, uh, uh, patios in the back, that's where you need gutters. Any place where you need to control the fall of the water. In general, though, if the, if the soil slopes away from the house, there's not a reason to put gutters. Let the rain come off the roof and run away. If you need to put something to divert the gutters, there are other things that you can use that won't damage the wood like the like the gutters will, but still, uh, you know, will will break up the sheets so that it sprinkles down instead of coming down and cutting into the soil. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You bet. Stan, take care and have a great afternoon. Thank you. Debbie, this is Jim. How can I help you? Uh, one of your earlier callers uh, was calling in about some trees that were in the too close to the house that had caused some problems with the foundation. Yes, ma'am. And, and so I live in a, a fairly new subdivision. I've been there since uh, 14 years. And I have a, it's a, some of these newer ones where the, the yards are real small. And so they planted two live oak trees right on one side of the yard. And yep. my, tree, my tree guy that comes in, tenant farming, He's made comments in the past that he doesn't know why they put those big trees in the front yard and that it didn't oh, tree. He's I do. Out. You do? Uh, oh, yes, ma'am. <laughs> they got to build houses to keep me in business 20 years from now. And putting those trees so close, that just, that is the ticket. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess you answered my question because they're, they're really going to be big trees, I think. <laughs> yes, they are. And, you know, realistically, where that came from, mm-hmm. back in the 70s and 80s and such, you know, everybody was on this big tree kick. FHA actually had a policy in order to get an FHA mortgage on new homes, they had to have two trees in the front yard. Okay. And the darn thing stuck. <laughs> and even though builders are told all the time by engineers and and foundation guys and arborists and everybody else guys don't do this you're creating problems it's stuck to the point where even on these little bitty postage stamp yards they uh-huh. put two trees and and to, to make it even worse a lot of times the homeowners association says you got to maintain the two trees you can't even take them out well yeah i think i'm gonna have to i had i had raised that question when he he made the comments that if it were him, he would have them there. And, uh, right. Because for one thing, they're growing up over my roof, too. So they kind of started to shit, you know, lift the, the shingles a little bit. Yep. And so I think I will be up. It, it sounds like the better choice would be to go ahead and rip them out and start over with a tree that's more appropriate for that size. Will, I, uh, will it impact the the foundation the way it is now by taking out those trees or why run a risk doing that they're only no, 14 because years tr- old i guess it's about right seven inch diameter the thing you have to remember is trees that were planted when the house was built or after can be root shielded and removed trees that were there prior to a foundation being poured or before the house was built you don't want to remove those trees because the soil was already used to that tree being there when the foundation was placed. 
But anything that was put in during construction or after can be taken out. Okay. All right. And, you and, and just FYI, you know, most people don't realize this, but most homes don't have a foundation problem till the, the magic year is about 18 years old. And the main reason for that is that's when the trees are getting big enough, the drainage issues and all that stuff have had enough years to accumulate to these problems. That's what normally causes foundation problems. So, yeah, uh, you'd be fine if you had to, if you wanted to remove them. Okay. I tell you the truth, I mean, I just don't know. If I've, I've had them in a, a previous home, and I know how big live oaks get. And, yep. And uh, they, were, they were quite a maintenance nightmare. The beautiful trees. Yeah, but like I say, on a postage stamp-sized yard, I'm going to be shading everybody's yard with these trees. <laughs> so. Now, you, okay. you may want well, to check you. with some arborists because I, I talked with an arborist a, a few weeks ago who uh -huh. told me there are some chemicals now that they can put on, uh, like live oaks and red oaks and all these, that actually stunts their growth. Oh, really? And keeps well, them, yeah, I, and I keeps them from that. becoming too big. I hadn't heard it either until a couple weeks ago, but you may want to check into that, before, uh, you know, if you like the trees and the looks of it. Uh, you may want to look into that. At the same time, you can prune them and keep them trimmed back. But that spray actually uh, does something that inhibits the growth of the tree. Okay. And you mentioned also a root shield. Yes, ma'am. Is that, I mean, is that something they put between the two trees and the, the front foundation? or? Yeah, between the trees and the foundation. And are those very effective in your opinion? or? It, they are extreme. Uh, it's the same as taking the tree down, basically. Oh, okay. Okay. And, okay. All right. So, like I did, having trees in the yard, I'm just more concerned about the, the expenses and the hassles that could be caused by keeping sure. them there. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think you've answered my questions. And as always, you've answered every one I've ever called in with. <laughs> Appreciated. Not a problem. And <laughs> you take care and uh, have a good evening. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. Bye-bye. Jerry, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Thank you for taking my call. I, um, I've got a problem with, with the uh, with my shower diverter deal off the faucet. down at the, It's a deal where it's got the faucet coming out the bottom, and you lift the little handle, and the water's supposed to divert out the shower head. Right. And what's, yeah, what's happening is when I lift up that diverter knob to divert the water out the shower head, I've got water that leaks out from behind where that uh, faucet screws into the, I guess, copper pipe or whatever that that the water comes out of, and it comes out from the behind behind that, but it also comes out behind the wall down to the uh, down the back of the of the tub between the wall and the and the uh, tile that that I've got there. Any suggestion okay. on what I need to do? Well, I want to make sure I got the right one. Is it on the spigot that you're pulling up the knob, or is it one that's mounted in the wall? It's it's on a spigot that's okay. mounted on the faucet that comes out. Right. So yeah. when you pull it up, you know, the, it, what happens is when you pull that up, it diverts the water from the spout back into and up a pipe that goes to the shower head. Right. And I am betting because there's a common thing, the, the elbow that turns to head up to the shower head mm -hmm. is a common place for those things to break. And I bet 
that's the problem that you've got. Well, I, I took the, the sheetrock out from the back where the, where the faucet attaches to the copper pipes coming down. It's copper piping, uh-huh. but when, when I lift up on the diverter thing, it comes out. I don't, I don't know if that's a ball that's supposed to block the, the water from coming out the bottom spigot. Or, or yeah. how that, how well, that it's, mechanism it's just, works. It's, it's like a gate valve is what it is. Yeah. Now, now, if I just buy another faucet with the uh, with another with another ball or whatever is buying there, will that work? Because it's not it's not I, broken at the it's not broken where it's a uh, where the uh, copper pipe is you know tied and welded right. onto the to the pipe. It's not leaking there. That's okay, why so, the so when down. you're when you got the sheetrock off on the back side, when you pull the lever up, where are you seeing the water back there? From behind, from behind the wall, it, it runs back out the pipe, the back side of the pipe that's supposed to shoot the water into the tub. Right. Uh, okay, it's, when, it's spraying when, when back it's through that. Point. Exactly, exactly. That's what it's okay. doing. Okay. Those things are normally screwed on. This is going to sound silly, but uh, first thing I would do is check to see if I could rotate that and screw it on any tighter onto the threads. But if it's not in the elbow there, it almost sounds like the threads have a break in them, and that's what I would check on next. So unscrew it, take it off, and check the how the threads are doing. William, this is Jim. How can I help you today? Well, I... Uh got a question is it possible to go from like these uh american uh, hinges on the kitchen cabinets to a european hinge you're talking about the hidden hinge that uh recesses inside yes the, you know the ones i have now are the ones that are attached outside you can the the biggest problem with doing it isn't a, a problem with the hinges at all it's simply when you remove the old hinge you got the holes there that will show so it depends on the hinges that you currently have and where the holes are going to be and how well it'll hide it. Uh, yeah. You know, when we were talking about, when we were talking with Leonard uh, of cabinet facers, that's one of the big things that a lot of times people do when they change out cabinet faces and such is to go to those hidden hinges. So, yes, it's very possible to do. The problem is, on your existing cabinets if the hinge is on the outside which on homes that were built in the 70s and earlier it was those holes and exactly where the hinge was will show because there will be a different color in the finish but wouldn't it but my, my cabinets are painted they're all wood and they're painted so couldn't i just fill them in and paint it absolutely yeah if they're all wood then it's then it's easy because yeah you'll just sand it down fill the holes uh, sand it down smooth a second time, and you're good to go ahead and do your painting. Who who does that kind of work? Just change them out. It would be cabinet guys like that. Cabinet facers, places like that can do it for you. It's called cabinet. Any, any cabinet facers, and their number is eight one seven four three zero four thousand. But it's anybody who builds cabinets or redoes cabinets. Okay, I guess just Google that maybe or just look on the internet, I guess, huh? Okay. Well, yeah. Thank you for your help. I appreciate it. You bet. William, you take care. Chris, welcome to KRLD. How can I help you today? I, uh, I'm a little bit frustrated. I, I built a new house about a year ago, and Golden did a fantastic job. Um, we are trying to 
you know, I, I didn't get engaged with contractors last fall about putting a, a patio, maybe 20 by 20 addition onto the back of the house with a pergola and the whole nine yards. And, you know, from a financial perspective, I said, well, let's just do the concrete first. And, you know, with the difficulty with all this construction going on, I can't seem to find a contractor just to put a 20 by 20 pad and then, you know, put the pergola up, you know, when time and money present themselves. So, just looking for some advice as to find a reputable, uh, 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 sorry to put a uh, concrete patio in. Well, the first thing I tell you, since you want to start with that, find just a concrete contractor to do the patio alone. Okay. And then the pergola can be put on later. And I, I would tell you, though, when doing a concrete patio that you know you're going to put something like that on, make sure you put some beams on it so that it's okay. got some rigidity to it. Okay. Uh, if you want to call Due West, we actually do that patios. And okay. uh, the number is 972-406-0912. Okay. So you're saying that knowing that I'm going to put a pergola on it, you, know, you would have the concrete, the pad itself would have specialized kind of uh, uh, reinforcements where, where the pillars Correct. and so forth for the pergola would go. Well, I wouldn't necessarily just where the pillars go. What I would do is a, a beam all the way around the perimeter of the patio. That okay. way the pillars can be put anywhere on it. Okay. All right. Okay. And, and is there any, anything I should, anything else I should use if I wanted to build, put a built-in fireplace? Or is that something that oh, yes. could also rearrange? And, and in fact, Chris, for that, I'm going to ask you to hold on because i got a break for news, traffic, and weather. And I'll be right back to you as soon as we come back with more. Texas Home Improvement. Now, when we went to break, we were talking with Chris, and he's wanting to put down a concrete pad, 20 by 20, and then a pergola on top of it. And the concern is, you know, where would you mount this thing at? And here, here's the thing. If you are building something like that from scratch, you know what you're wanting to build for a pergola, you can actually mount the brackets in the concrete when you pour it. But if you're not going to put the, the the structure up on top of it right away, you really don't want to put those brackets in the concrete because they they will be definitely toe stubbers the whole time. And, you know, not to say that you won't do it right away, but let's face it, in most cases, you'll do something like this, and it'll be several years before you'll do the next step. So normally what you would do in that case is you would or the concrete, it would just be flat. And when they come to put the pergola on top, they would anchor some brackets in the concrete. It can still be done. It's not a problem. Uh, but that way you're not rushing to get the pergola built before you're ready. If I was building the, the slab for this thing, uh, and we're saying it's a 20 by 20, I actually would recommend that around the perimeter, we put at least an 18 inch beam 10 inches wide, use number three rebar in the beam and a number three rebar in the four inch part as well. And not only would I put a perimeter beam, I would recommend, not saying you'd have to, but I would recommend cross beams through the middle of the uh, patio as well, since you're going to put a structure on it. And Chris's question was, what if you wanted to put a fireplace in the corner or something like that? If you build it the way I'm talking about, 
18-inch beams minimum. Normally, I even like to go deeper than that. 18-inch beams minimum and a cross grid that way, you could put the fireplace any place you want it on that thing because you've made it rigid enough that it would handle that load with no problem at all. I mentioned I'm at the Irving Convention Center for the Los Colinas Home Show, and there's you know a lot of different vendors out here. Um, one of the vendors is Due West, and I don't normally have anybody on the show from Due West, but since we're out here, my son Johan is here. I'm gonna have Johan on the show, and well, let's let's talk about foundation repair for a minute, because uh, you know a lot of people think first of all when they have somebody out to look at the foundation, they're getting so many different opinions. Everybody's got, one, a different way of fixing the foundation, two, a different opinion of what needs to be fixed, and some people have some very unusual ways of even looking at how they're gonna fix the foundation, or you know, how they do their inspection of the foundation. So let's talk about what you do when you go out to look and do an inspection of a foundation. You know, on that subject, I have a funny story for you. I went out to a house in Plano one time, and um, I did my normal evaluation. I drew up the house, uh, the floor plan. I took elevations across the floor plan. We talked about what the customer was seeing out there um, his particular house had some brick damage as well as a back door that wasn't working correctly. We sat down and talked about what was going on with this house, and the main issue that he was having out there was there was a large um, oak tree that was planted very close to the back of the house. And so I advised him that as an alternative to trying to put a bunch of piers on it right now to have that oak tree removed, which he wasn't too excited about <laughs> because... Uh, that was um, his wife's favorite tree in the whole backyard, but uh, but that was that was my recommendation for him. And so he ended up having me price out uh, putting piers on the house in lieu of taking that tree out because the tree wasn't going to come out. And um, and the funny thing of that is that I told him that um, if you hire five structural engineers, uh, of which I am an engineer. But uh, if you had five different structural engineers come out here and give you their opinion on the house, you're going to get five different, slightly different, if not vastly different answers about what to do. And um, in this case, this gentleman was uh, of sufficient means and had the time on his hands. He actually hired five structural engineers. Oh, my goodness. To come out. I didn't know this. Yeah, to, to come out and do the evaluations on his house. And um, and then he called me back. I took another trip back out there, and he said, all right, you were right, five different answers, so what are we <laughs> going to do about it? So then we ended up uh, going with a, um, a root shield uh, along the side of the house that was most severe as well as a foundation watering system. Well, and a root shield does the same thing as cutting a tree down, basically. It severs the roots. And keeps it from taking moisture out from under the house. Right. In this in this particular example, uh, the house was kind of a U-shape around the tree. Uh-huh. And so um, it wasn't feasible to put a root shield all the way around that U-shape. So we ended up doing it on the on the side that was affecting the house the most. But um, uh, I, I would have, in that particular instance, uh, liked to have that tree taken out. But they, yeah. they wanted it. So. Well, and you touched on something. You are an engineer. And I, I want to touch on just the difference, you know, because I hear a lot of companies advertising engineers and, uh, you know, they're run by engineers. But there's a difference between being a 
degreed engineer and a professional engineer, which means you've taken the test and got your stamp. That's right, yeah. Um, you know, to get a, a degree in engineering, like, like most uh, degrees, uh, a four-year program, in order to become a licensed professional engineer, uh, you have to do an additional four years of um, uh, what we call internship, but really it's it's just working under another professional engineer. And then once that time is complete, then you can take your test with the state of Texas to become licensed. And that allows you to actually provide a professional opinion that, I that um, comes with the stamp. So you're certifying that... Um, um, that you stand behind what your opinion is. I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so when you go out to look at a foundation, go through the steps. What are you doing? Uh, first thing when I um, get to the front door is need to figure out what the customer's main concerns are. Um, the funny thing about our industry is because there's no... Uh, codes for foundation repair, foundation movement can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so uh, I go out to some people's house and they have a, a hairline crack in a tile and that's a major concern for them. I go out to other people's house and we're looking at cracks all over the house and they're not concerned about any of that. They're concerned about the crack that's an inch wide in the brick outside. Right. So, um, so we look at what the customer's concerns are to try to get an understanding for um, what they're noticing. And then we draw a diagram of the whole layout of the house, which allows us to take some measurements. Um, those measurements are to help use as a reference guide, but they're not the tell-all for what's happening in the house. Um, in reality, uh, when we're doing foundation work, we're trying to return a house to its original as-built condition we're not trying to return a house to zero all the way across it. Well, and that's a myth a lot of people have is that everything was built zero to begin with. It wasn't. That's right. That's right. And so um, sometimes you'll see a contractor out there who's uh, trying to oversell work based on the fact that something is an inch and a half or two and a half inches out of level. But when you look at door frames, window sills, you, you don't see any of that. In those cases, the that house was built that way. Yeah. We're talking with Johan Dutton. He's my son from Due West Foundation Repair and Plumbing. We're going to take a real quick break here. Johan, can you hang with us? I can. Oh, well, let me rephrase. I know you can. So <laughs> hang on with us here for just a minute. Johan, we spend a lot of time now talking about foundation repair. <clears throat> a lot of foundation problems are caused by plumbing. That is correct. Um, and vice versa. Some, sometimes plumbing problems are caused by foundation movement. But uh, here, here's um, a, a fairly common scenario. I go out to a house and they, they start to show me some signs of foundation movement. And they're inside the house, in the middle of the house. And so there's nothing along the, around the outside that shows any sort of indication of foundation movement. And so uh, we start to think maybe, hmm, is this house actually going up in the middle instead of down around the outside? And so what we do is a static test on the sewer system. And the way that's done is the cleanouts on the outside, uh, we put a test ball, which looks basically like a balloon, down in the pipe and blow it up to seal the pipe off. And then we fill the water level up 
in the pipes under the slab until it gets to slab level, and then we monitor that water level. If the water level stays consistent over a period of about 30 minutes, we wouldn't expect there to be any plumbing leaks under the foundation. On the other hand, if the water level starts dropping, then we know that water is going somewhere. Uh, so the, the next phase is to get out the sewer camera and do an isolation test, where we start mapping all the plumbing system sewers under the house and determine where all the drain lines are going, and then isolate off each specific branch in each specific fixture to figure out where that plumbing leak is coming from. And I should be clear because a lot of people get confused on water versus sewer. So the, the water lines that are coming into the house under pressure, you, know, you pretty much know you have a plumbing leak pretty quickly because your next month you have a high water bill. The sewer lines, however, can go undetected for years uh, because unless the drain line clogs up, you would never know that you had a plumbing leak in there. And okay, and the other thing I'd like to clarify is on the cameras running through there. They're not typically finding the leak itself. I mean, they can, but uh, they're, they're a tool. That's right. Um, I, I hear sometimes that um, somebody said, well, they got their plumbing buddy out there and he ran the camera down the line and everything looks good. That doesn't really tell you very much because uh, uh, first of all, if those camera images are spotty at best because if you get a little water on the lens, you could imagine it doesn't look 100% clear. And, and water might be the best thing they got <laughs> on the lens. <laughs> That's right. And, um, and so in our use of a... Uh, sewer camera is, is really two things. One, uh, to help determine where the branches are located, and two, to make sure that our test ball placement is accurate. And so we know, okay, I need to put a test ball this far in to uh, isolate off this branch line, or I need to put it in uh, this far to isolate this particular fixture. And so it just helps us get our are uh, static on a individual line more accurate. Now, most plumbing problems, and I'm not going to say all because PVC lines can, sanitary lines can have breaks in them as well, especially at the Y's and things like that. A lot of times what you're dealing with is cast iron. Yes. Uh, cast iron, um, you know, really when cast iron is 30 years old, but more precisely when it gets to about the 50 year old range, um, we would start to see that have plumbing leaks. And uh, oftentimes it can be something as simple as um, where the uh, drain is for the, the laundry, for instance. But in, in certain examples, it ends up becoming more severe than that and can really ultimately result in a whole system replacement of the of the sewer piping when it gets bad enough. Um, but what happens is over time, you know, obviously that pipe starts to degrade just from rust and, and deterioration. And so when those leaks start happening, uh, one of two things can occur. If it's left for a number of years, um, it can cause too much water in an area under a foundation it, and it can cause foundation damage by causing it to heave up there. The other thing that that can happen a lot is if it's next to tree roots, then the tree will start to detect that moisture source and infiltrate where that pipe is to, to suck up that water. And you end up with a pipe 
that's clogged with tree roots. And you can, you can fix it temporarily by going in and, and snaking out that line. But long term, you, you're going to have to replace it. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.